Hey everybody, Tyree here with Before I Forget, along with the greatest co-host in the history of co-hosts in the history of time, Mr. Kevin Johnson. Say hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. All right. And we have a special guest, Kevin. Introduce our guest. It, it, familiar, should be familiar with you guys, right? Kakar Mitros. Hey, hey. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I'm excited Hell yeah. to see you guys again and catch up. Right. I, am, uh, I apologize. I'm terrible with intros, honestly. Um, no, that's okay. I want to be like the guy in UFC or like in boxing range is like, you know, like, let's get ready to rumble. But like, you know, this is, I don't know. I need to get your like people's stats standing at five foot, six <laughs> inches tall. We have to do a whole rundown before a show, like fill out mm-hmm. this uh, size card. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure you're not five, six. I feel like you're probably like six foot 11 by now because you just pick up more things. How many more jobs do you have by now? Um, only like two more since the last time that we recorded. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so two more added to the list of like 400. Your right. taxes must be fucking hell. Well, let's get the updates. Um, so we already know that you, you, you wrote books. Are you writing more? Do you have more coming out? I do. Well, potentially. So actually, since the last time we spoke, the current book that I do have out uh, when crossing the street, it's getting rebranded and conventionally published. So before I was a self-published author, which meant that I kind of was in charge of my own promotions and marketing and whatnot. Um, But now I'm switching over to being uh, represented. So I'll have a conventional publishing company. My book is getting reprinted under their brand and redistributed, um, which will be nice for me because it kind of puts me in a more of a position to just call the shots and let people do their thing versus me having to decide what I want to do and then doing it myself. Um, so that's been a great opportunity. I can't quite reveal yet who all that is through because everything is still in the works. Um, but as soon as that comes out, you know, you'll see it on my pages and whatnot, my, on my business pages. And then I am working on another one, but I'm doing my own illustrations this time. So it's kind of taking me a while to, to get all that, you know, among my six other jobs that okay. I that I work on. So. so you also do illustrations. Neat, awesome. Just make me feel worse for not having any talents. <laughs> well, so actually, <laughs> so this is. I don't know if you guys remember from my last book. I actually wrote the manuscript for that when I was twelve, and I had kind of drawn the whole thing on construction paper, and mm-hmm. that was the original. So this is very similar, um, but the drawings that I did. So this one's about like, you know how they make Disney movies four kids, but there's all this like adult humor in there. Mm -hmm. So this book, same thing. It looks like a children's book, but it was originally written for my uncle who always lost his keys. Like every time we were trying to go somewhere, never knew where his keys were. Um, So I wrote it about keys running away, which is relatable for adults, you know, that would want to buy it for their kids because it's something we relate to. But my illustrations, I don't know like what was going on in my little like 13 year old brain, but if I could just rebrand those illustrations into the ones for today, because they're, they're great. I got keys running you know, through the streets of New York. I've got them on strike. I've got them at the beach. I've got one hiding as like a little garden gnome. Um, so I had to edit the manuscript a little bit. So I'm trying to transfer like the same illustrative ideas that I had back then into, you know, to match the modern manuscript. So that's been a bit of a process. Um, there's your kind of teaser pitch, I guess, for that book. Um, but as soon as this one gets rebranded, I'm hoping to pitch the same one to the same company, which, um, you know, having that continuity of already being represented by them, um, should help me get back in that sphere. And then who knows, we'll, we'll go from there. So maybe a year or two, you'll have two of my books out on, on bookshelves. 
And what's the name of that company? I'm sorry? The name of the publisher? I can't reveal that oh, yet. Oh, say She said that. Okay, <laughs> but uh, pretty soon, once once distribution hits, I'll be able to start advertising that stuff. So I don't know if you know, but Tyree is asking for personal reasons because he's also taken on a new gig um, since we've last spoke. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. 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 I'm a talent agent now. So I'm always looking for people with talent and you just happen to have all the talent. You should probably let some people borrow some talent because some of the folks I have could use the development. They could use the Aren't drive. You supposed to say that? Well, hey, man, let's be honest. <laughs> hey, facts are facts, right? Hey, yeah. You know, everyone, uh, you know, don't care about your feelings. Yeah. It, it, everyone <laughs> needs to learn like uh, to have as much drive as you do, because, man, if I could have one or two of the people that I have that are writing books and illustrating their books and doing everything else that you're doing would be incredible. So there. Well, well anytime, and she, anytime you need an extra staff member, let me know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Hey, as soon <laughs> once you're uh, dis detached, uh, detached from the uh, military, hit me up, and I got you. I'll have you another job. There you go. Appreciate it. Right off the bat. There it is. Yeah, no, no. He's actually been hounding me to to do talent agent stuff, and um, yeah, that's all behind the scenes stuff. But like, cat, like you have, you have. A, just a, a, a resume of, of talent, a slew of talent. And um, <clears throat> he's looking for actors. You ever thought about acting? No, I know you have, because what else do you do in your spare time? <laughs> yeah, I had, I had texted Kevin when, he, when we were organizing for this show um, and we, we kind of got to talking. So I actually did pick up an acting gig. Um, it's a, like a murder mystery dinner theater. So it's one of those things where we kind of blend in with the guests that are attending this dinner uh, mm-hmm. We learn our role like beforehand. And so they are trying to discern who, like they don't know who at the table is an actor or a genuine guest. And so, you know, the, throughout the course of the night, there's a few murders and it's a big mystery. So um, I do that. It's improv theater, which I really enjoy because, you know, we just kind of go in knowing our, our backstory of our character. And from there it's on us to kind of ma- manipulate it into however that show goes. So I've been doing that. Um, I just started performances with them. I've, I've done two shows and I'm having a really good time doing that. So it's been nice to be back in the acting scene. And I am really excited to continue doing that, especially when I get out of the Marine Corps and having more time to dedicate to like full stage productions or a more intense improv theater, you know, whatever presents itself. So do you have representation? <laughs> I I do now. I'm about to because I'll hit you up right after this show. And there you go. Yeah, there it is. See, see listeners this is how we, we network this is how we make right. things happen Magic. exactly <laughs> when you're and, and you're and you're pretty close to atlanta right fairly yeah i'm like four hours from atlanta yeah he okay. gets gigs all the time in atlanta yeah all kind sounds of sounds like they're about to be my gigs there yep. it is there it is <laughs> no he's got uh and you know it's, it's crazy is um he's got some pretty uh significant some pretty big names um in their fields uh signed already so um or work that, that he's working with so he's just got to get them you know jobs and then they get hired on and whatever else and then but yeah like Tyree has kind of um hit the ground running with it and uh been doing pretty bad I said it's got some pretty cool people um needs to add you to the list uh the improv thing though so that sounds like how did okay so I'm trying to like how does that happen like where does this happen like where do you go for this like the murder mystery thing. 
So it's, it's hosted at a hotel. I, I perform out of Savannah, Georgia. So there's a hotel that's kind of like our home base. Um, and then the way that they advertise, people buy tickets and they know that that's where the event's being held. Um, so we, we enter like we're guests with everybody else um, and perform, you know, from there. So. Huh. So, okay. Yeah. That's, that's really neat. I mean, like how many, how many guests are there typically like 10, 20, 30? Um, the smallest show I had was 56. The largest show I had was 87. And so people need to figure out like who the murderer is and, and yes. So like, so we have a set script that we like read and study before we go in. Um, and so then like before the show, they'll tell us like, okay, tonight you're playing this character, this character, this character. So we already know how the night's going to go. And so it's just a matter of us kind of molding our character into what needs to happen and then executing it kind of, um, based on how the vibe is and, and whatnot. And we just go from there. And then as long as we hit all of our benchmarks throughout the show, then it's a successful show. So that's really neat, actually. Um, so, I mean, ideally, like, you, you know, you could assuming you probably have like different guests every time. So they don't know who is guest and who is uh, an actor, but like, has it happened to where, um, you, you know, you have like repeat people and they're like, Hey, I remember that, that person from, the last time I was here. Cheaters. I haven't, I haven't had that happen, but I've heard some of the other actors say that that's happened to them, which I've never really seen the point of going back. Um, unless maybe you're just trying to bring someone else for their experience. But, but also because of that, the company that I work for, we actually change the script every few months to prevent that repetition and whatnot from kind of filtering its way out. So every few months we read and study a new script, new characters and, and perform from there. That sounds fun. I would do that. I don't know if I would be any good at it, but I think I would like to do that. You know, and you got to think, okay, so, you know, as well as I do, like, so being a drill instructor, you know, you, that's not your, that's not your personality necessarily. You're not that person 100% of the time. Like whenever you take the hat off and take the uniform off, you become you, you, you revert back to yourself or you should, right? Some, some of us, some of us cannot. And, um, and then they have problems outside, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So I think, I think, you know, in, in a way like training, um, initial entry troops is in, in a way, a kind of like a form of improv acting because you kind of have to like, you have to play it up. You have to be this big persona. Um, you know, some of us, I think, I mean, I, I feel like I have a decently large personality, but as a drill, like, I think I'm just, I'm, I'm more louder, more louder. I am louder. I am more obnoxious. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I have fun with it. So I, I kind of, I kind of feel like that would be something that I could do. I want to do that. How do I do that? Yeah, you absolutely should. Um, we have, I mean, I can send you an audition link. They host auditions fairly often. Um, and they oh, actually have it. 80 locations uh, throughout the U S. So it's kind of cool. Like if I were to move, um, I could still get linked up with the same theater company, you know, as long as the location was nearby, but go, to your point, I, I always joke with people. I mean, I was kind of a theater nerd and like I did improv as a kid and whatnot already, but I tell everyone, like, after you've been a drill instructor, that is all the training you need for improv because you're always flipping stuff back around, flipping the narrative, and it's it's so on the spot, and you've got to be so quick on your feet. And sometimes it's just for us, you know, like, because we're already so in the weeds of the job, you got to make it fun for yourself somehow, or, or at least the uh, Marine soldiers around you. So you're saying slick things to make a joke to them, and that's improv all the way, so... Yeah, no, your level of wit, like you have to be, you have to be like Johnny on the spot with some of these things, like, cause you'll get some wild ass questions or comments or concerns and you just have to, like, I mean, at first, like, <clears throat> at first you get like, 
did they did they really just say that? But then like you need to like wrap that up and like spit out something real quick because otherwise you just kind of look like a dummy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's definitely like one of the, I say the factors of being like new, like a new <clears throat> drill sergeant, drill instructor to an efficient or, or experienced one is that ability to have that quick turnaround and, and have something to say back to them right away. Cause you do like when you're first brand new and you're still just kind of that human. And if you're a normal person, you actually kind of care, you know, and, and so they say something and your normal human response isn't to be that person that turns it right back around on somebody. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's effects of that concept. Cause if you call it what it is, it's manipulation to be honest. And so I, I question like how the, the long-term effects of that, that instinctive manipulation, because now I, I'm, I talk with people and even if it's a joke, like I turn things back around so fast and then I scare myself. Cause I'm like, okay, I'm out of that life now. Like I don't even need to be doing that, but now I'm doing that. Like, is this going to affect me later? I don't know. Time will tell. Stay tuned. Yeah. So. Right. It's, it's a good tool to have though. It's a good tool to have for sure. Cause I mean, sometimes yeah. you, you gotta be able to like have that quick written and, and turn things around and, uh, and flip it on its head. And, and then, you know, cause sometimes people will say something sideways to you and I think it's fun to make them feel stupid for the things they just said. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm a big one on that. Yeah. Kevin, you should definitely do the improv classes. It'll be something that'll be good for the resume. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I wonder if they have them. I mean, I feel like here in Northwest Arkansas would be a really great place to have them actually, but I don't know if we have it here. I've never heard of it. They have to or something similar, right? I mean, but the the amount of growth that we've had in the last 10 years, like it would be, I think something like that here would blow up. Like it really would. So, wow. So, so what else is going on in your life? Uh, tell me, tell me all the things. Uh, well, <laughs> as you had mentioned, so I'm now a former drill instructor. Um, I had what we call our, my hat plaque ceremony in January, which is where we kind of retire our campaign cover and put back on our, our normal Marine Corps cover. And it's kind of the symbolic thing of transitioning from that role back into the regular Marine Corps. So um, I've done that. I, you know, I no longer have platoons. I don't train recruits anymore. Um, and as, as we mentioned kind of before we started recording, so I was actually supposed to get out of the Marine Corps in February, but I've had some medical situations hold up to where I'm basically on a hold until August. So now I just um, work at like the headquarters portion of my battalion and I just do some some basic work there. I do like the coordination programs for our families and make sure that they have like all the resources and whatnot that they need when they're checking in and out. Uh, so I just do that, you know. Um, there's always a lot to reflect back on as a drill instructor and then but being kind of on the outside now, obviously still so very proud of what I did. Still like the passion is still there, but there's also that piece of me that's like, I'm so glad I'm done. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to be done. I did my time. I did it with 110%. And I'm glad that I did so that now that I am on this other side, I'm kind of like, there's nothing else that I should have, could have, would have, you know. Um, so that's been great. And, you know, just continuing to get my plans ready for after I transition, as we mentioned kind of in the last show, still planning to be part of the National Park Service and go out and pet the buffaloes and trail mark and, you know, do all that hippie stuff. And I get out along with the acting, the writing, things like that. So in the meantime, I'm just kind of coasting and got working my side, my side hustles and working my day job and um, just doing the best I can to kind of balance both of those things, get into the transitional mindset, appreciate the Marine Corps for the days I have left in it, and then be ready, you know, when that day comes to say goodbye. So it still hurts yeah. my brain to think about like you're still 
like active duty. Uh, yeah. when, when I was active duty, you know what I did on my time off? Drank and uh, <laughs> partied, air quotes. Yeah. So, like, they, it's so much time that I wasted now, I feel like, because, man, so many different things we could have done. And, yeah. you know, even though we were in Germany, you know, things were a little bit different there. But, I mean, I could, but we, I could have mm-hmm. utilized that time much like you are doing now. And I would take my head off uh, to congratulate you on that or salute you on that because that shit's awesome, man. Like, drill sergeant, no, not anymore, but still working with the military, still doing shit to help out families, and then illustrating a book that she's also working on back here in the corner. So that's fucking nuts to me. Every time I we I talk to you or we have conversations, it's like, oh man, something something new. So I have a question for you though, right? So <clears throat> you're 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 transitioning out of the Marine Corps, right? Now obviously you have a lot of things already lined up that you're that you're already doing, things that you plan to do. Um, but you know, transitioning out of the military uh, for a lot of people is a pretty stressful event. Like you may, like, you know, I know, I know there are a lot of folks that serve in the army that did their first contract and like, fuck the army. I want to get out and I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And then they transition out and they're not thinking about like, I've been living this one lifestyle for three, four five, six years. And now I'm going to be a civilian and that's all I want to do. And they don't think about like, well, fuck man, now I have to like pay rent or pay my utilities or, you know, actually, you know, go to work and do a completely different type of job around people who are not in the military and they don't have the same mindset as we have. So even though like you have all of this, this stuff going for you, does that transition in a way scare you at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I I think the way I've had to look at it is there's a portion of it that nobody can escape from, right? Like whether you do your four years or your 20 years, there's a certain amount of that transition process that's going to suck for everybody. That's going to be unknown for everybody. Um, So I'm trying to remember that there's a certain factor of it that I'm not going to be able to escape. and then like reaffirmed to myself, like, okay, it's going to be there and I'm going to get through it and it's going to be fine. Um, but then kind of on the outskirts of what lies outside of that, that's why I'm sort of trying to be involved in these communities, like acting and whatnot, so that I can have some sort of continuity when I get out. But as you mentioned, like there's like working with people that have never done a day of service or just have the different mindset. Um, this has obviously become such a lifestyle for me, better part of 10 years even some of the ways that I, I talk, I, I try not to use like military lingo, but there's certain parts where it just, I think earlier I even said something like execute the plan. And when I was talking about my improv, like that's such a military thing to say. And some people, you know, if they never, they're going to look at you sideways. So those are the things that I'm trying to kind of filter out and, and remember. Cause I, what I never want to be is that person that gets out and has to be like, well, I was a Marine and like has to rely on this past persona because people out there, Number one, they really don't give a crap about that. And number two, it's like, that's just me keeping myself stuck in the past. It's, if I have to constantly say like, oh, I was a Marine, I was a Marine, then I should have just stayed in. So I'm trying to remind myself to close that chapter, like do everything I wanted to do as a Marine, which I have. And then when I move on, I don't need to call upon that anymore. Um, but yeah, it's definitely scary. And, you know, being a, a, a person that grew up as a woman in the Marine Corps I have a hard time with a lot of those like kind of civilian dynamics because I've always just been around guys, been like one of the guys. Um, I don't get along with most civilian women like right off the rip because I'm just have kind of a, a big personality, I guess. And so that's always been just kind of a dynamic that I, I have struggled with and that I now fear for the future. Um, 
And I'm just trying to rely on my skills, you know, and have the confidence, build up, build up the confidence I need now to say like, okay, you know what? I have the skills. They're objectively there. Um, and when I get out, it's just going to be a matter of, like I said, calling upon them and navigating through that, that unknown waters until it's no longer unknown and then I'll be fine. So, you know what I noticed? uh, Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, I think, I think one thing that may help you with that transition, make it much smoother is because like, so yeah, like during the daytime you're, you're, you're putting on your uniform and you're going to work, but in the, your off time, the weekends, evenings or whatever, you're doing these other things and you're working around civilians so that when the time comes, you, you, it's kind of, it's like, it's overlap, right? You have mm-hmm. this overlap in like what you're planning to do and what you're currently doing so that, you know, if, at some point it's just going to be like, I'm going to slide the, the bottom part out completely and it's gone. And now I, I move into this other part. And so I think that'll help with the, make the transition much, much smoother for sure. Yeah. 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 And that's definitely been the goal with, with the things that I've been doing. And that's why I've been pursuing them so actively. Um, and there's definitely been times like I work the whole week and then mentally, cause even though I enjoy doing my improv theater and having the shows, it's still work. Like at the end of the day, and mentally there's not a break. And so I find myself like struggling, but then I have to remind myself like that is the necessary evil of like, that's the way I, I set up that overlap so that I can thank myself later for having that to, to fall back on. So it's definitely been like a little bit of stressful dynamic, but I know that it's going to pay off. So, you know, it's worth it. What I've noticed is with the stronger female uh, guests that we've had on the show, they've always had issues with other females and their perception of how they see them. What does it deal with that? I don't know. It's, it's, it's something I've never been able to put my finger on. I, and I don't want to be that person that sounds like an asshole. And I was like, well, we're just intimidating. Like, cause I really don't even know if that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. I think it's just, we, especially with the military dynamic, like we can dress up and look great and wear heels and a black dress, but we also like to blow things up and roll in the dirt. And it's hard to find like somebody that covers that whole spectrum out in the civilian sector. And so I think what we find that we have to do is I kind of picture it like a horseshoe above me, like, and it's like this. So I've got a friend that likes to dress up. Okay. So like that's that half of my, or like that portion of personality. And then I've got this other friend that maybe likes to go do Spartan racing and outdoorsy things. And so you're kind of plucking like one portion of your personality from each of these different friends to like pull it all, but it's hard to find someone else that, is all of those things with you. Mm. Um, and so I think, I think, and then you add the the woman factor on top of that and like the balance of femininity and um, the life experience that we have. And then also sometimes, you know, so I can be really feminine with a female friend of mine, but then as soon as one of the guys walks up, I'm like, Hey bro, like knuckles, you know, whatever. And so now they feel really uncomfortable because we just made this super quick transition. That's normal to us, but they're kind of looking at us like, well, I don't have that half of that personality. And, so they feel a little ostracized and now I'm trying to navigate being the connector between the two. And so it's just like, it gets really complicated really fast. Um, and it's a struggle for us, I guess. Yeah. So I think that is definitely one of the um, bigger benefits of serving in the military though, is because you are exposed to so many different types of people and cultures and backgrounds. And, and you get to, you, you kind of, you, you, like you said, you get to take from them, you're like, oh, yeah, I like that 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 thing about that person or the thing that they do. So I'm going to incorporate that into my life. And then, you know, I, I never thought that I would be into that thing, but I tried it with that person. Now I probably, I like it. So now you can, now you have, you can add to the conversation, um, like in, in in like a slew of conversations. Like you you can you can you can blend in almost like a chameleon, but like 
you know, you're not faking it. You know what I mean? And um, whereas like our civilian counterparts who, you know, maybe, maybe they went to college, maybe they did this, they did that. and they probably have something like cultural broadening or whatever, but like, it, it seems almost to, to not be to the extent that we get in the military. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think that's a, I don't know, like a, one of the many positives, I guess you can, you can, you can pull from having served. Cause I know that if I hadn't joined, um, I sure as shit wouldn't be as, um, um, broadened as I, I feel, I feel like I am. Um, you know, I definitely probably would have stayed in Arkansas and no telling how that would have ended up. Um, so I think you would have totally at least made it to Texas, at least, at least to Texas. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I, you know, I had, I had ventured into Oklahoma a couple of times and Missouri and by mistake, I went to Florida, you know, but I probably would have never left the country. Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's one of those things that like, cause like, like, like you, I'm also nearing the end of my career in the military and, um, you know, I'm supposed to be retiring this year, hopefully by September. And it is one thing that I thought about as well. Right. And people have asked me, Hey, so now that you're retiring, what's next? And my general response was, well, I'm in the reserves. Um, I have a civilian life. I have a civilian career. So like nothing really changes, but then I really got to thinking about it and I was like, well, that's not entirely true though, because the the military gives us this like the sense of purpose, regardless of what we're doing, we have the sense of purpose. And so I've, I've been kind of like wondering now, like, okay, well, what's going to replace that sense of purpose for me. And so even though I'm reserves and I'm part-time um, in the army, like when I do transition out, what is that purpose going to be? And um, so I'm starting to explore different things and trying to like, um, see where that's going to take me. Cause at one point in time, I, I had that same conversation with myself. It's like, I don't want to be that person who, when I'm out of the army, you know, is that person that was like, Oh, I served in the army. And that's, that's like the largest chunk of my, my personality to people. And, uh, so but I, I went on a, I went on a trip out to, to Moab, Utah, actually to kind of, uh, explore that further. And, um, you know, discovered some, some new things about myself on that trip. And, uh, you know, incorporated them into my life and trying to do a similar thing with the, with the transitioning out and, 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 you know, uh, figure out like, who am I really outside of the army? So that's cool though, that you have like all these other things going on. Um, I'm just saying a lot of words right now. I don't have any questions. I'm just saying words. <laughs> I was going to no, ask. And I, I think that is a difficult question of, of the, like, who am I really? Because especially when you do, get so involved in your career and there, I think, especially because if you're like most people, like you leave home, you join young, a lot of the times you're trying to get away from something. And so, but you haven't made that distinction in your head yet between what, who, that there's a difference between being a part of something and that being your identity. And so I think, at least for me, like, I think my first few years, the Marine Corps definitely was my identity. It was my purpose. It was my why. And then as I got a little older and my perspective started to change, I knew I wanted to kind of separate those things, but then I didn't know how because I didn't have anything else or I was still working so many hours or I was a drill instructor. So it's like, and you're obviously giving all your blood, sweat and tears to that while still knowing, like, I still want something else, but there is so hard to find the time or energy to pursue that or be confident in what that something else is. So I definitely feel that gap. And I would say I haven't, I haven't filled mine yet either, but that's why I'm putting out, you know, these feelers and whatnot. So 
Tyree, I think you were going to ask something and I cut you off. No, no. Kevin said that he had found something about himself uh, when he was out in Moab. I wanted to know what that was. What changed in you that, uh, I mean, you um, brought it up, man. I got to know. The people well, need so, to know. It was a, you know, around kind of a, um, a rough patch in my life as well. Um, you know, dealing with some, some things that had happened, whatever. And I, you know, I, when, when Jessica asked me about it, um, you know, I, I, uh, she's like, I, I, the response was, you know, I went to the desert to die and, you know, I didn't have this, I didn't necessarily have this intention to go off and like commit suicide. Um, but it was definitely during that time in my life where things were not great for me. And, um, and I kind of meant it in that, in that way a little bit, but also in the way that like my current self, like who I was, because I was that guy. Like I, you know, I walked around the army is me. Um, that's my persona. That's who I am. That's what I am. I am a soldier. I am a veteran. Um, I've been to combat. I am a drill sergeant. These are all things that make up who I am and I am nothing else. And so really the way I kind of looked at it was, you know, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to like a, you know, like a chance to rediscover parts of myself or who I actually am and let the current version of myself die and become who I, you know, wanted to be outside of the military. And so that's really kind of all it was. Um, I spent a lot of time out there cause it was just me and the dogs. Right. And, uh, you know, week long trip through Colorado and Utah and you're camping and you're, you're not, you know, you're just hanging out with yourself and watching the stars and the big open sky and seeing the vastness of the, you know, the Colorado Rockies and, you know, the, the, the wide expanse of the desert in, in, in Utah and just kind of like in awe of everything around you. And then you kind of realize that like, you know, I, in, in our world, like we're the biggest thing in it, right? Like we're the center of our own universe. Um, very egocentric. And when you go out and you explore and you do shit like this, you're like, no, like, like I am nothing in comparison to what's out there. I'm just a small, um, small yet significant part of it and trying to find your connection to it and how you, how you, how you, where you fall in. Like, um, that was a big part of it to me. So like, you know, I remember sitting on a rock, um, massive ass boulder, uh, my second, my, my, sorry, my last night there in Utah, um, camping out in Moab under the stars. And like, it was windy as shit, like clouds everywhere. This wind was like cutting through at like 30, 40 miles an hour. And then after a little bit of that, like the wind just stopped and the clouds were gone. And all you could see from horizon to horizon were the stars. And you could see the uh, spiral arm of the galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, you know, reaching across the sky. And, you know, in that moment, like when all those clouds clear away, it was sort of kind of symbolic for me, I guess, because it was like, you know, in, in my personal life, those same clouds clearing away and being opened up to this wide universe that um, I am a small part of, but I'm still a part of. And so that's kind of what it was for me. Mm. And I did all of that without being high. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm glad that you mentioned the, uh, you know, it, it. I'm a small part of it, but I'm still a part of it. A lot of people think that they're not a part of this big thing. Um, you, you're still a part of it. Anyone that's listening, if you ever have any question about that, like you're part of the bigger plan, whatever the fuck that is, you're part of it. Even though Kate has all the plans, 
Speaking of which, any new instruments, anything new that you're learning uh, on that front? I actually, yeah. So I bought an oboe. Of course. Um, <laughs> so I don't know how much y'all know about like the different instruments, but so it's, it's a double reed, which is kind of considered an evil of its own. It's so it's a woodwind instrument, but it doesn't have a mouthpiece. It's just like two little planks of wood together. Um, and I'm self, I'm, I'm at the point of musicianship where I can self teach pretty much anything. Mm. Um, but it's such a physical challenge like the, this, you know, learning the fingerings and how they correlate to a note on the page is, is rudimentary to me. That's easy. Um, it's the physical kind of learning of it. And the oboe has a very unique sound. Um, when you are learning it, it sounds bad. And then when you're good at it, a lot of people don't know that you've reached the ideal sound. If that makes sense. Like uh, someone who doesn't know what an oboe should sound like will hear a great oboe player and be like, what is that sound? Because they, they don't quite know like how it fits into the ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of like bridging that gap, I guess, for myself. And, and on that little journey, I haven't dedicated as much time to it as I had hoped I would be able to so far, but I've been having a few moments lately where I'm like, today's going to be an oboe day. And I, I do crack it out and play through a few notes but that's exciting because it keeps me engaged in something new and gives me something to look forward to. And I think kind of back to Kevin's point about what he just mentioned about like his little kind of like self growth or self growth <laughs> retreat. Um, I think we, as people do lose sight of like the little things and how being a small part of a big universe is still significant. Um, small victories throughout the day. I think we get so caught up in thinking we have to do this big thing especially how he said, like, if you have an identity where big things do define you, like you've done a combat tour, you did a tour as a drill sergeant, like these kind of large overarching experiences, like those are big ticket items. And then you start to get this idea that everything you do in your life has to be a big ticket item when you can be excited that you cracked out your oboe and learned three notes that day, or you can be excited that you got to see an awesome, you know, span of the stars. I think we forget that those are the experiences worth living for. And if you think back to, you know, how humans were, I'm talking like way back, like primitive tribal existence. That is what they did. They were hunter gatherer communities. You know, they, they got, they had their daily drudgery of, you know, hunt the food, cook the food, whatever. But the way that those people found meaning in their existence was small things, whether it be little village celebrations, the birth of a child, like whatever it was, it, it was the small things. And I think the way that society has progressed itself and industrialization and like for me personally, I can't stand this like modern American work to die culture because it takes away all those tiny opportunities you have to appreciate life. And so people do get caught up so much in the drudgery and then they're on the opposite end. They don't have any big ticket item and they're spending every minute of the day where they could be having those small victories working towards those big ticket items. And then it's just the dog chasing the tail. They start to lose their purpose. They don't know what their purpose is. They don't have a why. And it's just downward spiral. And I think that's, that's why we have so many issues with, you know, people being so unhappy in society today and so much depression and suicidality. So sorry, no, yeah, I was kind of all over the place, but <laughs> no, no, that that's like the spot the fuck on. Cause I mean, especially now with like, you know, social media being such a prevalent part in everyone's life and we're seeing, you know, literally a snapshot in to someone's existence, someone else's, some stranger's existence. And nine times out of 10, a lot of that stuff is, is manufactured anyway. So like, it's not even a real snapshot in, into their current existence, but we're seeing that and we're like, that, that, that's what I need to do. That's the level that I need to get on. 
I'm going to strive to to get to that point. And like you said, like the small victories that get you to that big point, we don't think about, right? They're not victories because the ultimate goal is this big overarching, big victory, this big ticket item, as you put it, and nothing else matters except that. Right. Well, like, what about the, the, the journey along the way? And that, that's cliche to say, right? Like, you know, um, how, how does that saying go? Something about like, like under, love the journey or whatever the fuck it is. But um, it's not about the destination. No, it, it's about the journey is what they say. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's 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 super cliche to say. It's it's, it's very um, bumper sticker to say, but like, it's also fucking true. Right. Because, you know, this is the only life you get. And you know, you can have all these small victories and they can all lead to these big things. But, you know, like, you know, being, being a drill sergeant or a drill instructor, you know, the experiences that you have while you're there, um, you wouldn't have had if it wasn't for your journey that led you to that point. So like all the different uh, leaders that you've met along the way, your upbringing, your parents, the friends that you surrounded yourself with before you joined, after you joined your experiences while you were in, before you were in, all of that came together to form who you were going to be when you put that hat on and how you were going to interact with your troops and what you were going to give to them to carry on with them into their future careers. And so you might think like, you know, 50 years from now, Oh yeah, I was a, I was a a drill sergeant. I was a, I was a drill instructor in the military and that's, and you know, you're still talking about it as if like, that was like, you know, the height of my life. Well, I mean, what about the shit that led up to that point? What about the things that led up uh, uh, that followed that point? Like there's so many other things. Um, I can work with um, veterans now, um, older veterans who you know served uh, anywhere from 20 to 50 years ago. And, you know, a lot of these folks get super excited when you ask them all kinds of questions about their time in because, you know, nobody's asking that stuff anymore. And it's really neat to me how some of them will talk about their time in, but then they'll also talk about like life after their marriage, their kids. And it's as if like that event, them serving their two, three, four years, you know, yeah, I'm a veteran, but I'm also this, I'm also a parent. I'm also a husband. I'm also a wife. Um, uh, you know, I was a teacher. I was, you know, so on and so on. And that's pretty inspiring. It's pretty cool, um, to hear these older folks talk about that stuff. But at the same time, you get those ones who are still living the glory days of, you know, I was a specialist in the army 40 years ago and I'm going to wear my, my veteran cap that has my specialist rank and, and that's all I'm going to ever talk about. And, um, and that's, that is my existence. I am a veteran. I mean, and that's not to say that that's necessarily bad, but again, like there's so much more to, to you as the person, you as the individual that like, that's, that's, that's a, it's a blip. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people put blinders on themselves. Like when you, when you're constantly stuck back in whatever identity is that you're, I was this, I was this, you're, you're putting a blinder onto everything else that you could ever possibly come. And instead of just saying that was a thing I did, it stands in this place in my history, but now I'm doing this and I look forward to doing this. Um, you know, with that mindset, you're opening yourself up to, I was this, I was this, you know, being able to look back and enjoy more than just that one experience or that one title that you had that one time. Yeah. Uh, speaking about looking back, uh, what is one thing that you're going to miss the most about being a drill sergeant or one event that you're going to be like, damn it, I'm, I'm going to miss that more than anything else? Drill instructor. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. 
Yes, it is. It is drill instructor, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, No, I, gosh, that's, that's a hard question. And I want to say immediately when you asked me, my brain kind of split two ways. I think there's the serious side of um, a photo right here. Like Mm -hmm. we make Marines, right. And handing that Eagle of an anchor to that young woman on the other side, passing that torch. um, You know, they talk a lot of, they, with all the, the filming and stuff, they always film the recruits like getting their EGA and becoming a Marine. And they hardly ever account for the drill instructor that's like holding back our tears because we bled, cried, you know, sweated so much, not only to make that, that Marine a Marine, but because of what it means for us to train our own replacement. And so I think, you know, the, the impact and ramifications that are, un, are unpredictable and, and infinite. Like you never know when you hand that girl that, that evil woman anchor, the ways that that's going to trickle down in her life and being a direct impact of that. And so I think just knowing that I was able to have that small part in being the biggest change in someone else's life, like a, a moment at which they will forever consider that a pivot point. Um, I just, I'm honored to be that. And so I'll miss um, being able to have more of those moments, but I'm, I'm grateful for the ones that I did have. And then I guess on the other kind of more like joking side is just all the bullshit. Like just the the things, the experiences we had where you look back and you're like, did we really do that? Like how, um, you know, just the things we did to make it through cracking open a monster and popping 800 milligrams of ibuprofen at three in the morning because you have been awake for 90 hours and it's 30 more miles to run and 16 more hours to work that day. Like, and it's, it's weird how we grow a fondness for those things. But I think it just, it goes back to that human nature of the things that you work the hardest for, the things that you appreciate the most and um, just the journey along the way. And just, you know, the ladies that I I got to work with kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with like that struggle, some dynamic between like civilian friends and military friends. I think something else that Kevin mentioned that I thought about was in the military, you know, you have these experiences with people that bring you, sometimes to the very edge of like your humanity when you're awake that many hours, when you're in the field, when you're in the, the swamp, whatever it is, you are so vulnerable and so exposed to other people in a way that you would never imagine being in the civilian sector. And so I think when civil, you know, you have your civilian friends and you say, Oh, we're close. That's not to say that you're not, but did that person ever see you at the, like at your very wits end when you were awake for 90 hours when you had those boots on your feet for four days already, when you haven't showered in two weeks, when you haven't eaten, like it's just hard to imagine ever being on that level with someone else. And I think that's why we do look back at our military friendships so fondly as well. So I'll miss it, but I'm ready to be done. Mm. You know? Yeah. It, so. Well, and you know, and, and it's that same, those same experiences that like, and, and, and from what I was saying earlier, I'm not like, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, belittling those people who, 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 who look at their military career or their stint in the military and as like, it was the highlight of their life. Maybe it is, but it is because we go through these, like these, um, these times, these hard times with these people, like we form these like intense bonds. And so they become like extreme core memories. And, um, and so, yeah, like, of course we're going to look back on those moments with fondness or sometimes um, not with fondness with, you know, with uh, disdain, and be pissed off that we, you know, we had to go through that or whatever. But, you know, uh, I, I think that's, I think that's a big part of it. Like, you know, you, you go through these hardships 
And um, like when we had our reunion last year, um, did we talk? I can't remember if we recorded right before or right. I think it was right after we had our reunion last year. And uh, yeah, we recorded in July and reunion was in June. So for a lot of us, it was the first time we had seen each other in like 17 years. And the the connections that we had, um, they were they were still there, right? So it was as if we hadn't seen these guys like over the, the, the course of like a, a long four day weekend and we're coming back to work on fucking Tuesday. And it's like, Oh man, how was your weekend, dude? It's been four days, but it's been 17 years, you know? And um, so I think it's easy for people to, to kind of look at, to, 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 that's why they do that. That's why they, you know, think back to their, their military time and they make it a, 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 a large th- aspect of their life because, they went through some shit. They went through some shit. Like, especially those like went to Vietnam and, and, um, and, uh, those earlier veterans, Korea, World War II, like they went through some shit. And, uh, so yeah, that's, I think what makes it a big, a much bigger deal. Um, <clears throat> so I like history and I like things like repeating themselves. And I know I told you about her, but the, um, the lady that I, I had a, ch- a chance to meet the other day, was a United States Marine, um, in 1970. And, um, you know, she was like the nicest lady. Um, and I told her, like I said, I told her about you and, and, uh, she said, thank you for your service and what you do, um, for Marines. And, um, and I thought that was really sweet of her. And I showed her the video of you calling cadence and, and marching your Marines. And, uh, and she was just, I'm telling you like the look on her face, like she was looking at my phone and she was just like, just like, in it, you know what I mean? As if she was like having a flashback to the moments where she was likely walk, walking down those same corridors, maybe to a different cadence, definitely to do to a different drill instructor. She remembered her drill instructor's names, where they were from, their personalities from 50 years ago. It's wild to me. The thought that like somebody might remember me 50 years later, you know what I mean? Like, does that, has that ever like cross your mind? Like 50 years from now, you know, these Marines that you've trained, they're still going to tell stories about you. Yeah, that's, that's definitely wild to me. And I think it was my last platoon. That was actually something that my, I had a gunnery sergeant that was there and she had said that right before we went in to, you know, raise our right hand and take our oath. She was like, train them well, your names will be on their lips forever. And I was like, damn, you know, like ain't gotta be that deep, but it, but it was that deep. And it's true because I think about my drill instructors you know, I've been in, like I said, better part of 10 years and I'll never forget their names or what they were like. And then even in some ways who I was as a drill instructor, there were certain parts of me that I was emulating them, you know? And so it really is, is that legacy and that unique experience of, I mean, we have how many hours of FaceTime with them, you know, day after day after day for those three months. And it really is an immersion culture. You're teaching them because not only are you spending all that time with them, but you are the subject matter expert for them at that point in time in their life, you are what it is to be a Marine, what it is to be a soldier. And so they're absorbing every single ounce of who you are. And I think that adds, adds to it as well and is why it becomes something they never forget. So, so how does that um, now, you know, a, a woman in the military and you were training women to be in the Marine, in the Marine Corps you were training these women to be the best possible Marine that they could possibly be. You have to live up to be that example first and foremost. And I would say, you know, just from what I know of you, you do. Um, well, what is, what does that mean to you? And like, like I said, in speaking with this woman who was a Marine 70 years ago, 
um, just the way she carried herself, the way she spoke about it. Like she was very prideful of it. She was very, um, she had, she had this confidence about her. Right. Um, and she, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I just, I just think back to like okay, her, her, her drill instructors definitely taught her what it was like to be a Marine. Cause you know, that's how it is. And you know, 40 years later from her being in, you join here. We are 10 years after that, 50 years later, um, you're training young females to be, uh, Marines. And I don't know. So like, how, how does that in, in your mind, like, is there, is there, there's, there's more of that, right? There's more of this like sense that I need to do. Um, I need, I need them to be better. I need to, I need them to be acknowledged that they're females in the military and there's a standard that they need to uphold. Like, what does that mean to you? Um, I think, so the thing that came to mind when I, when you were saying that is everything changes, but nothing changes, right? Like, so the way that it stands right now is every female who's ever served in the, in the United States Armed Forces was a volunteer, you know, women have never been drafted. And so I think that that already adds a special dynamic to the woman service member, just as it stands. And then you think back as to why did they start serving? Um, even, you know, back in the early history of, of women picking up, you know, slots in, in the armed forces, it was to take over those administrative roles to open up, you know, so that a man could go to war. Um, and so I think there was always this deep patriotism and this deep, you know, need to fill the gap, the whatever it was that the service needed, they were there to do it. And then the way that that, that looks different now, right? Obviously like now combat roles are open to women. And that was actually, you know, when I joined, that wasn't the case. So that was something that happened during my career. And I actually have to explain that to my recruits sometimes because, you know, they're all nosy and they want to know our jobs and stuff. And a lot of times they guess that, um, I'm a combat arms MOS and I have to explain to them like, no, that wasn't even allowed when I joined. Uh, but anyway, so all that to say like, yeah, so everything changes in the sense that like what it looks like to train a female Marine is constantly changing. What it looks like when you become a female Marine is constantly changing, but nothing changes in the sense that the same mindset, the same legacy, the same thing that women were doing 70 years ago in their intent to offer service to this country and their intent to bring up the women after them is still the same. It's just what it looks like that is different. And I remember my third platoon that I trained, um, my senior drill instructor, you know, the one that's kind of in charge of all the other drill instructors, she had taped up little signs all throughout like our duty hut where we live right at eye level that say, you are the standard. And that was really impactful for me because it was like every time I turned around, I was reminded like you are what it is that these women want to become. You are everything that they um are due to become what it is that they joined for what, it, you know, fill in the, in the blank, whatever that standard is, you are it. And uh, so I think that's a very unique um, legacy to have the opportunity to pass on. And I think last time when we recorded, we kind of talked about the fewer, the prouder concept when it comes to the Marine Corps. And uh, I definitely think that that runs deep in our veins and to your point. So we have the, it's called the Lady Leatherneck song. And it's, it's a song. I don't know when it, when it started. It's, I, I can't find official lyrics for it anywhere on the internet. There's like a, a super like sketchy third party website post somewhere with a few of the lyrics on it. 
Um, but it's to my, to my knowledge, it's something that's always just been kind of passed on and it's, you know, the lines of it, if you listen to it, it's, you know, we are female Marines and we march with pride, shoulder, shoulder to shoulder and side by side. And, um, it's something that a lot of males never learned, have never heard of, and didn't even know existed. And so fairly recently back in November on, on the Marine Corps birthday, November 10th, Ura, we actually had our last ever, um, all female series of recruits, uh, go through Paris Island. And which is to say, so it was with November company, all the other companies at this point have been integrated to where, uh, there is a male platoon or at least one, um, involved in any series of training. So what this means is it was just the last series where everyone that was on track in that training cycle was a female recruit. Um, but yeah, so we recorded them marching down like the, the historic, iconic 4th Battalion catwalks singing a song. And it was really interesting because it blew up on social media. I think 1.5 million views on TikTok, um, at 500,000 some on Instagram. And the comments were usually one or one of two things. It was either a, a female veteran, Marine, whatever, reminiscing, like kind of how you said. They were like, wow, I played this on repeat over and over, like the memories. And, and they were so proud of hearing that song. On TikTok, people were duet, like doing a little duet thing with it and singing along, like left and right, left and right, which was great. And then the other reaction was a lot of males who had never heard of, hadn't seen. And, you know, just, why are we singing? We don't sing in the Marine Corps, blah, 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 blah. Like, they were so upset. And I had to actually make kind of a, a follow-up video that was like, look, female Marines, like, believe it or not, we have some things that are our own. And not only is that our history, but this song is part of that history that, like, y'all don't need to know about everything that is unique to us. You know, it was kind of my, my stance is like, yes, I get it, the Marine Corps is like, a men's club, a gun club, whatever. But like we have our unique place in history in that club and we're going to continue to be prideful of it as long as we have a place here. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting how that panned out. Um, but being such a crucial part of the female history, how it still rubs people the wrong way when we're just over here trying to be proud of, of what we do. So, you know, and it's funny to say like <clears throat> um, this whole, it's a, it's a man's military. It's a man's military and you know oh, men men serve men do this men do that women are in these like support roles if they get to serve at all my mom my stepmom was a, a part of the women's army corps in the 1970s before women were integrated into the army and so in talking with the lady that i met the other day and it's angelica with in talking with angelica i had this like thought in my mind i was like you go into 1970 and like you said women have never um been included in the draft so it's all volunteer she joined in 1970, midway through combat operations in Vietnam, right? She didn't have to join. Um, she said her younger brother joined, and she said, I wanted to, I was, uh, I was intrigued, so I joined. And it, it occurred to me that, like, if you know a little bit about, like, Vietnam-era uh, history and what was going on in America, there's a lot of protests, right? A lot of people burning, a lot of men burning their draft cards, saying, I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm going to go to Canada where they can't take me away. They're not going to force me into this war that I don't believe in. And here she is saying, well, I'll go, I'll raise my right hand. I'll volunteer. And, and like that, that kind of struck me. I was like, I mean, that's hardcore. You know what I mean? Like, there's, you know, and uh, it's like you said, like women, it's always been volunteer for women. And so in a lot of ways, like this lady was like, 
like leaps and bounds above these men who just didn't want to be a part of it. You know, she's like, well, fuck it. I'll go, you know, like my mom, she didn't have to join uh, at the end of Vietnam. Right. She didn't have to join, but she did. She wanted to be a part of it. She wanted to be a part of this bigger thing. And, um, you know, and I even asked her, I was like, so, I mean, do you think that like the, the Marine Corps kind of shaped your life or how do you think it made your life better? And she's like, Oh, it definitely gave me like these different skills and these different life lessons and experiences that I, you know, you obviously just can't have unless you serve. And, um, she was very proud of it. It was, it was, it was really cool. I not going to lie. Um, got a little emotional when I was showing her that video, like myself, like I was sitting there, like sitting there and I was like getting a little teary eyed and I was like, Oh my God, this is so fucking cool, man. Like she's like looking at this. I'm telling you, she's like, she was drawn into that video as if like she was one of those recruits walking down that, that, um, that, uh, was it a catwalk, whatever. Like she was just like, she just like looked up after the video was over and she just was smiling. And I was just like, that is, that's what it's fucking about, man. That was just so cool. And so, like I said, I, I felt the need to tell her about you because like, you know, you're kind of continuing this, this, this legacy of, uh, uh, women in the Marine Corps, like setting the standard, being the standard, showing what the standard looks like, how to be successful in it. I don't know. It was just, it was like a, it was like a proud moment for me and it wasn't even my moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when someone just exudes that kind of energy, I think it's hard not to get emotionally drawn in when you see them just back in their moment for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the, the video that I'm talking about, the one, the one you were talking about is, is the same one, right? The one that blew up everywhere. Uh, there, well, there's a couple. So there's the, like the lady leather next one. That was like the, the one that really, really blew up. And then there's my personal video of me marching them. And that one blew up quite a bit as well, but not, not as much. But I want to, um, well, so this is all, this is going to go on, on YouTube and I would like to include those in this video at, at the end of it, if I can. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I want people to, to know what we're talking about and, um, and feel that same sense. Like, I don't know. It, it, it is cool. And for the dudes out there that are like being haters and shit, like grow up, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Like grow the fuck up. It's not a man's military anymore. And really it, it you know, at once upon a time short, it may have been, you know, primarily men, right? Like, you know, sure. We, 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 we fill most of the ranks and when we go to war, we die the most and, 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 and all that. Sure. Right. But women have been an integral part of the military for as long as the military has been a thing, right? Maybe not like within the ranks as, as, as soldiers or Marines or sailors or whatever, but like they have played a part in some way, shape or form in keeping the military going and keeping the country going. Um, you know, when you when you look back to World War One and World War Two, when uh, you know America's men were sent overseas to fight in, in Europe, you know who kept the country going, right? Um, who kept our nation afloat? Who provided the necessary um, work that needed to be done here so that they can do work there? So it's all, and this kind of goes back to like my adventure in in Moab, like we're all just small cogs in this massive fucking wheel. And without one of those things, the whole system doesn't work. And, and like you said, like now women can serve in combat roles and that's amazing to me. And I get, I used to get asked all the time, Tyree, I'm sure you've been asked too, you know, as an infantryman, uh, how do you feel about women being allowed to serve in the infantry? It's great fucking let them suffer with us. Fuck, you know yeah. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they can do the fucking job. Like what is so hard about being in a combat MOS that only a man can do it. And a woman can, you know, can't, uh, cannot, 
Um, <clears throat> you know, when I think about like the, the specific role of an infantryman in the army, running battle drills, um, rucking long distances with shit on your back and, um, getting to the objective and then doing this with your finger, um, on your trigger pointed at bad people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not that fucking hard. The, this, my, my favorite argument is, well, if I get wounded in combat and I go down, do you think a woman's going to carry me out? It's like, bro. Like, and, and I think I said this, um, Tyree, I'm pretty sure I said this with major jacks. <clears throat> I am six two two forty. I probably can't pick your dumb ass up. You know, your you know half lifeless body with all your gear on you. It's very cumbersome. It's very odd. Mm-hmm. Um, dragging you to cover would be a challenge. You know, so it's just this whole like this this dumb argument, and I, I just I can't stand it. And I want to help change that in the, in the military. Um, I really do. Like my last cycle, my one of my most stellar fucking troops <clears throat> um, was a seventeen year old female. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I had dudes in their mid, uh, late teens, twenties, into their thirties. And she was just outperforming all these people up for the challenge all the time. And, um, it was, you know, it was like one of those, like, do you see what's going on here? Like if women are very capable of kicking ass and, and, and y'all do. And so fucking cheers to that. Love it. Love it. So, and yes, it is to, uh, 215 where I am in Arkansas and I am drinking beer. Suck it. I have water here somewhere. So now that the military window is closing, are there any regrets at the end of the day about anything? And everyone says, Oh, I have no regrets. There has to be something where you're like, you know what? If I could have waited to do this or if I could have just done this a little bit faster or um are there any 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 stories like that for you? Mm, that's that's a really good question. I think for me, my regret is the perspective that I didn't have in the sense of I tell my troops all the time, like, yes, work hard, do your job, make the sacrifices you know that you need to make. Like learn what it takes to get to the top and then do those things. But do your work, go home, and then go to dinner with your friends mm. because that's gonna be what you remember, that's gonna be what matters to you at the end of the day. Like all those nights that I stayed at work until like, and I'm talking before drill instructor, like when I was supposed to just be working regular office hours, but I was there till eight, nine o'clock at night, like for what the odds are, I still would have made it given my work ethic and everything else that I was accomplishing. I still would have made it to where I made it today. Um, And I can say that with some pretty deep confidence. And so my regret then would be that I allowed myself to be so bought in or so convinced that what I was doing was absolutely necessary that I missed out on. Cause I would look at like the other troops in jealousy and like, or I'd see a photo, like they all had gone out to dinner and I was that person that if I even got invited, I always said no, or I just didn't get invited because people knew I was going to be at work. Um, and I would look at that photo and be like, damn, you know? And then now, so, you know, a lot of those guys are some of the guys that maybe did their first enlistment and got out. And so it pops up on their little Facebook memory. So now it's four years later again, and they're sharing it because they're fond of that memory. And I look back and see it as like, that's the night that I missed out mm. because I was going through folders of the office for what? So I think, I think I learned to incorporate that perspective. 
I think I still struggle with it even now, even though I don't have like a, a real full-time work job. Um, I still catch myself getting caught up in the pattern of there's more to do. There's more to do. And I have to pump my own brakes and say, no, there's more to remember. Like this will be here tomorrow. Go, go make a memory while there's time. I'd, I'd say that's my biggest regret. You know, I, I would say, and I, I wouldn't even look at it as a regret, honestly, because, and I mean, and this is just my perspective on it, but you know, when, when I go do the drill sergeant gig, um, in my mind, my sole purpose in life are those troops and getting them, giving them all the tr- the knowledge and training that I can possibly give them. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there every day until late. I'm coming in on my days off. If they say, Hey, drill sergeant, can we work on PT stuff on Sunday? Um, then yeah, Sunday's my day off. Uh, uh, this last cycle specifically Sunday was my day off. And, uh, but yeah, I will come up and I will, I will go over, you know, things with y'all and I'll be here for a couple of hours. It's fine. Um, I also say that as a reservist, right? So, you know, I know that at the end of that cycle, I'm coming home and, you know, that's not my day-to-day life for, you know, years on end, a couple of years, whatever. But in my mind, that's, that's, I, I would regret in the end, not putting that effort in, but I think it's a, it's a matter of, of knowing when, when to, and and that's not to say that you weren't putting that effort in. That's, I'm not saying that because I know you were, but like, what um, I'm like, when, when to do that, when to not, you know what I mean? Like, um, when you get out of the Marine Corps and you do have civilian employment, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel that urge to like dedicate a ton of your time. Cause I've done that in, in previous civilian jobs where like I gave my all, I was coming in when I didn't need to, I was staying longer than I needed to coming in much earlier than I needed to putting in extra work when those around me were not doing it. I became that person that my um, employer relied on. And it got to the point where I was sacrificing my personal life and myself to this job while you know, my coworkers, some of my coworkers were, weren't even doing a quarter of the amount of work that I was doing. And so it gets to that point where it's like, okay, it, this, this can wait until tomorrow, right? Like this job, what's going on here is not that pressing. It's not that big of a deal. Sure. It's nice to be reliant, but at the same time, like I'm a human and I have my life. And so when I think about that same question that he asked you, I relate that to like certain civilian jobs that I've had where like, I've dedicated too much time. I'm spinning my wheels. I'm I'm not really going to get anything out of this. Um, not to say that like we should do things in the expectation that we're going to get something in return, but <clears throat> it's just live your life, you know, um, and and know when you need to sacrifice some of your personal time and 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 when you don't, um, because again, we only get this one life, and you don't want to sacrifice too much of your time doing bullshit for, um, you know, other entities that don't really care that much. Yeah. Absolutely. As you get older, you're going to be like, man, fuck that bullshit, man. (laughs) Fuck the bullshit. How old are you you again right now? You're 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 like, what, 22? I'm, I'm 27. Jesus. (laughs) 22 done 10 years, just over 10 years in the Marine Corps. Like, God. (laughs) <laughs> but actually it's interesting though how you just mentioned about like you're gonna get older uh when tyree said that because i i hate sounding like a tiktok girl but i was on tiktok <laughs> the other day scrolling and um which by the way disclaimer i only got tiktok because i had too many impersonators on there already and i needed to set the record straight i was like but otherwise you know anyway um but yeah so i was scrolling and i saw 
a video where somebody was reading off a study, like he was in a podcast interview and he was reading off a study that had been put out about the five, like the top five regrets of elderly people on their deathbed. And I don't remember where it ranked, but that statement of like, I wish I hadn't worked so hard in the sense of put in, like gone over that edge. How many times of this could have been done tomorrow. This could have not even needed to be done. Someone else could have done this. I could have delegated it. Like all the ways that that, that trickles down. Um, that was like one of the top things that people regret at the end of their life. And I think about that all the time too. Like if, again, kind of a cliche question, but like if someone said, all right, you've got a week left, like, am I really going to give a crap that I worked until 1800 versus 1500? Like, absolutely not. Um, so I, I definitely think there is that balance of knowing when going that extra mile is going to yield a worthy payoff. And then when going that extra mile is you just running an extra mile because why, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and on that same note, like your health, um, I, I had an appointment yesterday, um, and you know, I was being asked all these questions, you know, it was an appointment covering my, um, my feet, ankles, knees, hips, back. And, um, she, then they asked me all these questions and I'm having to answer them. Like, what do I feel? How do I feel? When does it happen? How often does flare ups happen? Blah, blah, blah. And so I have osteoarthritis in my toes, arthritis in my feet, ankle instability, fucked up knees, fucked up hips plantar fasciitis, shin splints. And so that's the waist down, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm 40 years old. I am 40. And what 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 I'm wor- worried about is, you know, I remember when I was 30, I felt pretty good. And then, you know, you turn 30 and kind of things start to hurt a little bit more. And, you know, you, you, you make it to 40. And I remember when I turned 40, like there was a whole, a whole other like mess of things that were just hurting in, in different ways. And like, fuck man, 50 is around the corner. Um, cause it is, you know, 10 years from now, nine and a half years from now, fifties are on the corner. And I think about it. Sometimes it's, it's hard for me to walk now, right? Like if I sit too long, if I lay down too long, like getting up, like I, 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 you know, I, I hobble, um, uh, or if I've, if I've, if I've done something a little too strenuous, I, I do have difficulty walking. Um, it hurts. And I think, fuck man, when I'm 50, will I be able to walk? You know, when I'm 60, am I going to be stuck in a wheelchair, not able to do the things that I enjoy doing? And, and so that is, that, that has really hit me like during that, um, during that appointment, like I'm I'm starting to sound like a crybaby, but like I cried twice thinking about like, you know, uh, my health, you know, is it going to be there, um, when I, when I need it to be. And so it's made me like really like like look at like how I exercise, how I live my life now so that I can, I can squeeze as much out of my body as I can so that like I can walk, I can walk myself to my deathbed. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Cause I don't, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that old person that, you know, who that's part of my regret. Like I went too hard. I sacrificed my body too much um, in my personal life. When I go to the gym, like I had this like mentality that I needed to be big. I needed to lift big. I needed the 500 pound deadlift. Wasn't going to be enough. Let's go more. I hit the thousand pound club and that was my big goal. And now I needed to like increase those numbers and be much, much stronger. And to what extent, because I'm putting my body through a lot of stress and strain and it's just not healthy. Um, and so trying to get out of that mindset and say like, okay, well now I need to exercise for longevity. Um, so that's, it, that's, that's, I think that's a big part of it too, because I don't want to in the future have that regret. So it's kind of like a pre-regret, right? Like, uh, like I'm regretting it now. <laughs> loading it um, up. Huh? You're loading up the regret. Yeah, regret yeah, bullets. Yeah. 
you know, and they, and they say, don't worry about things that haven't happened yet, but like you can see patterns, right? You can see that like the way I'm currently living 10 years from now will not be, you know, the way I'm currently living is not conducive to a long life, right? It's not conducive to a healthy life. And, um, you know, when I, if, if I had thought about, thought about this shit when I was 27 years old, <laughs> man, things might be a lot different, right? Like I might not hurt as much as I do. Um, I might go to the doctor more often cause I'm also one of those people. I don't like going to the doctor. Like I'll see how it feels in a week. You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, you know, take some ibuprofen, drink some water, rub some dirt on it. You know, that old, that old thing. And, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely been in the back of my mind uh, that's lately. The, that's the sure. thing though. Like, uh, you have to just live it, man. Like, uh, I'm a male black with high blood pressure, like, I'm already past my fucking uh, midlife crisis. Like that was years ago. Like this is the fucking downward hill. This is the fucking spiral for me. Like I'm going to try to fucking travel as much as I can. I'm going to try to do as much as I can to make memories with these kids and my wife and all that kind of shit before I go. Cause this shit could fucking happen at any second. So I hear you with lifting heavy shit. That's dope. But like y'all, Kevin, I mean, I don't want to put nobody's business out there. Go go on a vacation with somebody you love or just go on a vacation by yourself. Fuck it. And uh, do all that kind of shit. And, and like you said, reconnect with yourself because life is too short and it's over before you know it. Learn a new instrument. Uh, illustrate your own book. Write a book. Write a few books. Go take some improv classes. Do all that shit because life, you, That's that would be my regret in the end. Like I had so many cars, I had so I had so much money at one point, but man, I never got to see Fiji. I want to see that shit before I go. Like that's the kind of shit that I want to fucking that I don't want to regret. It's is not seeing that kind of stuff. So hopefully, anyone listening to this and you 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 have the same thoughts because we all have them. Don't waste time, wasting time. There's so much shit to do out there. Do it. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I think I had reposted something even last night on Instagram. There was a video I'd seen of somebody talking about, he knows people that make barely $40,000 a year and they're his happiest friends compared to his friends that make, because it's really about what you value, you know? And I get looked at sideways sometimes when I do tell people that my plan is to like be a hippie and join the national park service and, and whatnot. Cause a lot of people are like, well, you should go back to school. You should get your degree. I don't have a degree. I have a, a high school diploma that I barely got, which is a story for another time. <laughs> but you know, so it, like, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, you should further your education. You should do this or that. But to me, it goes back to that self-confidence and then knowing how you want to live your life and that intentionality too. Right? Like as someone who, I don't want to say I didn't have a childhood, but like I had to grow up very quickly and, and just the nature of, what it took for me to have that. I'm, I have to make it mindset. I'd say when I was even 10, 11 years old, I was kind of already adulting, if you will. And so now on the back end, I'm kind of like, look, I already did this shit for years and years and years. Like, where's the enjoyment? Mm-hmm. And I finally, I finally owe myself that back. And so that's kind of more of my plan. And I know some people, they, they kind of get the side eye about it. And maybe it's because they haven't thought about it. Maybe it's because they're afraid of a lifestyle like that or maybe it's just because it's so rare now that we see people secure enough in their life choices to say like no I'm going to choose that unconventional style I am going to go do the things that I want to do even though I'm young and it's frowned upon and and that's not to say to be lackadaisical about it like if you ain't earned it like don't just fuck around and, and do nothing with your life but if you've put in years and years of hard work to something and now you have an opportunity to have a break or 
or give yourself some kind of intermission to enjoy your time then fucking do it because Lord mm. knows it's just that soon before you're back on, on the cog of the machine. Right. Yeah. So that's my perspective, I guess. You can do like both. It. You yeah, can do both. But- Huh? I said you can do both. You can have fun and uh, you know further your professional career if you're doing something that you love to do, like we're doing with this fucking podcast here. Speaking of that, I want to thank everyone for listening to. Before I forget, this is the end of the show. I'm just like you know a little prefix. Uh, our show, you know, it, it's always growing, and we're always putting in the work to make things grow. And it's a good feeling to um, have shows like this where we we visit with someone who we've spoken to before and they say, Hey, we're doing this much better. I can't wait until we talk to you again. Cause I know you're going to be running for the president of something or other, <laughs> which is dope. Like, Hey, I, I'm glad to hopefully, you know, we might have a little bit of part of that. And I'm serious about you joining my talent agency. Like, of course, you know, at the beginning, it's not always roses and you know, it's, it's hard work in the beginning, but eventually you make him enough money uh, for me to retire comfortably, and I want to. Hey, thank I'm you all. For that. I'm all about. It. I'm gonna text you after this. We're gonna get it figured out. There it is. <laughs> Boom, bang. <clears throat> no, it is. Um, yeah, no, definitely a big thing. And a lot of like, I'm actually, um, I, you know, going into shows, I never really have like this, like this idea of like how I want it to go. I know, like, we want to hit on on key things. Um, it is Women's History Month. Um, we haven't really been good at like saying that in shows, but like that's part of the reason why we were recording with you. Obviously, we wanted to re- record with you, and we I think we talked about that last year. But like, we're definitely going to hit you up next year to find out where you are and updates on life and all the new things that you're doing. And like you said, when we uh, in, in in the pre-show, like uh, it just so happened to coincide with with this month, and that's great. Like you're like a in my mind, like you're like the perfect guest to have on a show like this or uh, during, you know, during this month, because I want women out there who are, li- are, are women listeners, the young women who are thinking about joining the military, the young women who are in the military, women in general, I want them to listen to what you and the others that we're having on this month. I want them to listen to y'all's words and your experiences and learn that like, <clears throat> like success is like, it's what you make it. And it, you know, you can, you can join this quote unquote man's military and not just be successful, but like kick its fucking ass and like show all these fucking people that like we're a presence and we're, uh, a ne- we're, we're necessary and we're, we're doing just as much work as everybody else. And, and, and we're doing it with, with, um, with less, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, recognition, right? Like, cause I mean, that's the thing too. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, so I, I, I didn't have an idea of where I thought this, the show was going to go, um, going into it, but like, uh, there's definitely been a lot of really good, like truth, um, nuggets and, 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 and life lessons. And, uh, <clears throat> and like Tyree said, like, don't waste time wasting time. Like, that's like, I, I don't know, man, I can't, I can't sum up, sum up life better than that. Um, and I know that's not specifically related to women's history month, but, it's just for everybody, but yeah, that's it. I got to drink this beer. <laughs> is it beer 30 already? Yeah, it is. I guess not. So, Hey, uh, before we let you go, uh, shout out your social medias and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, people can have a way to reach you and, uh, yeah. What are those, uh, what are those social media links that you have? 
Sure. So my personal pages are under Athena Demetrios. Um, just type in Athena, like the Greek goddess, and then Demetrios, D-I-M-I-T-R-I-O-S. That's both TikTok and um, Instagram. My professional pages are cat.caramitros on Instagram. And then if you just type in cat.caramitros to Facebook, you'll find my business page there. Working on getting a website up, but I'm interim on that. Um, and there's some Arabic on my personal pages that helps define who I am as well. But yeah, I'm always posting on there. I'm always, you know, yelling at keyboard warriors and bro vets who think they know a thing or two uh, and, and don't. So, and yeah, families. <laughs> and families. I saw that one from the other day. Look, this <laughs> Marina's out there doing whatever. And look, like I said, I was like, I'm not going to be the asshole that's, that puts you on those those meme, military meme pages, but I'm going to correct you. And then if you if you come back at me, now I'm regretting my decision. Like, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I love, you know, engaging with my followers and being able to share my content. And, and like you mentioned, especially like those young females out there, um, I, I live for being able to hopefully be a voice that they need or, you know, the motivation through my posts that they need or whatever. So uh, by all means. Yeah. At the end of this, yeah. So at the end of this video for people listening, watching, whatever. Um, well, I guess if you're not listening, if you're not watching, then you, you don't get to see it. Um, so go to YouTube, then watch it. But at the end of the video, I will have um, all your links and it'll be in the description as well. And then I'm going to include those those two videos as well, because that shit's neat as fuck, man. I, I only have one video of me calling Caden. It's not very good, um, but it just doesn't. I don't know, man, the way the way y'all do it. It's just. It's it draws me in. I know last time we talked about mutant Mike, I can listen to that guy on repeat. Um, I will matter of fact, I went down a rabbit hole on TikTok the other day of drill instructor cadences, and no lie, that's how I came across your TikTok. I didn't know you had one. I'm telling you, I'm yeah. I'm incognito on my t- I, I have like twenty one thousand followers, but I'm still like in the shadows on TikTok. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's it's funny because actually when you're talking about the cadence video. I look back at the video that I recorded and I'm like, wow, that's trash. Like my voice, like I could do better, you know, but I had been screaming for 10 months straight at that point. So yeah, you hear that you do hear the raspiness in your voice too, but like that just adds to it, man. It really does. Like even as a drill, like, you know, I, you know, calling cadence for an entire company of like 210, 217 uh, troops and they all got to hear you very loud and clear. You lose your voice, but like you still have to, you still have to call cadence. You still have to be loud. And, um, you know, it's really funny. This last cycle that I was up there, um, you know, it was an infantry battalion, but none of the troops were infantry. Um, some of us drill sergeants were, and their favorite cadence was an infantry cadence. And so that always cracked me up. But like, so of course, being an infantryman, when I, whenever I call that one, like I'm going to call it as loud and as aggressive and as infantry as possible. You know what I mean? And these trainees just eat that shit up. They love it. And that just, that was like one of those like proud dad moments, I guess. Um, proud drills are moments, I guess. And I'm um, super, super happy about it. But no, I love that video. Like I, I've watched yours on, on loop as well. Um, so several of those watches that you see on there, those are, those are mine. Yeah. No, I'm telling you, man, I just, I just, I just, I mean, there was a, in that, in that, um, you know, it was a drill, a drill instructor cadences and you just keep on scrolling and, and just watch them all. And then somehow in the mix, there was an army drill sergeant calling cadence. I was like, uh, <laughs> not the same not, not the, the same, same. <laughs> Ooh. all right well hey i think it's time to shut this one out uh kate thanks for coming on the show 
Thank you so much for having me. It's been great catching up with you guys. It's always great to have you on. Kevin, you have anything to say? No, just, uh, yeah, no, thanks again for coming on. And um, uh, we definitely look forward to having you on again. Um, Like, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And um, I hope you uh, have great success in your future endeavors uh, between now and the next time we speak to you. And um, which, while on the show, I guess we can talk in between now. Anyways, thank you, Kat, for being on. It's amazing. Fucking love it every time. Thank you so much. It's been great, guys. All right. And... As usual, thank you for listening to Before I Forget. Please like, listen, share, subscribe, watch, share with your friends, and don't waste time wasting time. Say bye, Kevin. Bye, Kevin. <laughs>